0: Good morning, it's good to be with you guys this morning, Um, been traveling a little bit this month, so it's nice to be back home in Kansas City and with you guys, Dave and I and our two boys were in upstate New York in Ithaca visiting his family, so on the Finger Lakes, which we just loved, I actually put on a sweatshirt one night, and I was like, am I in heaven right now, like I am putting on a sweatshirt in July, I love this, We also went to New York City, and if you guys were here last week, you heard Lexi preach and tell this, like, horrific story about being on the subway and, like, seeing someone's ear fall off during her time in New York City. Well, just to assure you, if you were like, I'm never going to New York City again after that story, we had a very lovely time on the subway in New York City, so rest assured there's not all kinds of crazy things happening there, so... Um, I want to share with you this morning uh, a phone call one of my friends got recently. She is a city council person here locally, and even though she was running late, um, she decided to pick up the the phone and take this call, and what she heard broke her heart. A caller said, I'm going to be homeless on Sunday. This was a caller who lives in an apartment with a spouse and two young children in her district and they'd been abruptly told that there was a problem with the pandemic rental assistance he'd been given relying on it to help cover the cost of rent for his family this assistance was supposed to last three more months but he'd been told that it had been cut off and it wouldn't come through this month and he had nowhere to go So Melissa had no idea why he called her or even how he found her number. This wasn't a city issue, but Melissa used her best asset to help this person. She used her influence. Now, she could have helped to raise money for this guy. She could have said, you know, let me make some calls, see if there's somewhere you could stay. Uh, She could have offered to get him some groceries. Instead, she texted the caller's state legislator, And this representative emailed the head of the state agency and asked them to look into the problem. Well, by the end of the day, Melissa's constituent messaged her that the paperwork error had been fixed and that his family could stay. He said, thank you so much for making calls and actually taking time to care about my family. Today we're going to be talking about justice and wisdom, and Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. Righteousness and justice go hand in hand. Now, I just want to say, when some of you hear the word justice, you're like, yes, let's put our faith into action, church. I have been waiting for this. I'm going to celebrate today because our church, we partner with lots of ministries here in this city, like Mission Adelante and Worship Wagon and places all across this world helping to serve the least of these. Yes, let's talk about justice. Others of you are like, Oh, I don't want to talk about justice. I'm going to feel guilty and overwhelmed, and I'm, I'm just one person. I don't have time to volunteer. Please don't talk to me about this. Some of you are already squirming in your seats when they said the word justice because you're like, oh, man. Is she going to tell me to march in some sort of march? Is she going to tell me to serve in soup kitchens? Is it, you know, is she telling me not to share the gospel? Is she she trying to push an agenda? Well, as Christians, God's desire is for us to become more like him, righteous. That is the word for becoming more like Jesus, righteous, which means to be in right standing before God and in right relationships with others through Jesus, we sang this morning about finding freedom and that is exactly what we want we want jesus and the holy spirit to transform our lives in this world the fruit of righteousness includes justice how god defines it not how the world defines it so let's talk about what biblical justice is not and hopefully we've got a screen okay biblical justice is not a fad or trend For 15 years, I worked with college students doing a lot of anti-human trafficking initiatives where we talked about how faith and justice intersect. Um, We got some laws changed in Ohio, which was really exciting. We raised thousands of dollars for the uh, international justice mission. Um, But college students can get a little excited about things. One week, it's like anti-human trafficking. The next week, it's like recycling. Well, this is not a fad or trend. Biblical justice is not for those types of Christians. Now, I don't know what picture of those types of Christians you might have in your brain, but whatever you have in your brain, that is not this. Biblical justice is not divorced from spiritual freedom found in Jesus, nor is it good deeds. Biblical justice is not just stuff that we do. I'm going to be really clear with you today. I am completely trying to push an agenda. But it's a really simple agenda we see throughout Scripture. And Jesus talks about it in Mark 12. And it's found throughout the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Mark 12 or pull up the app or look on the screen. We're a covenant church, so we love Scripture. In fact, one of our our creeds, the things we ask is, where is it written? Don't just listen to me. Look in your Bible. I want to hear those pages rustling. (laughs) I want to see those phones come out, and you go, boop, on the little QR code. Mark 12, 28 through 31, says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Biblical justice differs because it starts with an understanding of who God is And how he desires for us to live on earth and into eternity. God's agenda is for us to love him and to love our neighbors. So let's watch a brief video to better understand what biblical justice means. You guys can go ahead and play that.
1: If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate.
2: And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals.
1: You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of
2: these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no
1: matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows
2: how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of
1: others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them.
2: And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness
1: and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use. But what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being
2: good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them.
1: Yeah, some people call this charity.
2: But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice.
1: So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life.
2: Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like... Here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth
1: for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged, and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means
2: guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity
1: as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God.
2: Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up, as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty.
1: But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere.
2: Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all
1: participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the
2: surprising
1: message of the biblical story.
2: God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them.
1: The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways.
2: Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others.
1: This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my
2: problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God.
0: Okay, that about sums it up. Thanks for coming to Hillcrest today. God bless you. Go and do likewise. Um, (laughs) We're going to explore this a little bit more. Why is justice important to God? Well, justice is part of God's character. Um, when I was getting, getting the slides ready this morning, Nathan, one of our high school students, told me that they showed this video at the Engage conference last week where Covenant youth from all across the Midwest gathered. And he told me they showed this video and then in the morning they would serve their community by packing up food for people struggling with hunger, uh, gardening and pulling weeds in impoverished communities to make it more beautiful. They were practicing God's love for people. Justice is part of God's character. Psalm 146 says, God's the maker of heaven and earth. Everything in this world is him. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and he gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free and gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous." We praise God, and we have done that this morning. We praise God for his justice in songs because we don't want to worship a God who turns a blind eye to wrongdoing or to evil or to sin. God's justice is unfathomable because he sees into my heart and he sees into your heart and he sees the hearts of oppressors and slumlords and traffickers and dictators And he views us the same. What in the world? I haven't murdered anyone lately. I haven't kicked my dog or my cat. I haven't thrown my Coke can on the ground. God views me the same? We are all guilty of sin, of turning away from God and rejecting his ways and saying, "Mm, I can really do this better, God. I'm not... I'm not really interested in you telling me how to live. Justice is what God administers. Acts 17, 31 says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. We are all guilty of sin, overt actions of thoughts and attitudes that reject God. But we're also guilty of being complicit in turning a blind eye towards injustice, participating in systems and structures that unknowingly oppress others and benefit us. Anytime you get a good deal on clothing, you might want to look into who makes your clothing. How, it's, how is it made? Justice is a fruit of our salvation. That is something God cares about. Matthew 25 says, "When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne." We're talking about eternity here. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or, or need clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Biblical justice starts with eternity in mind. It starts by seeing people as God sees them, recognizing that we are all created in the image of God and loved by him. And it starts by seeing that Jesus can give us freedom spiritually and physically through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Justice isn't something we do to earn God's favor or his love, or to snap a picture and post it on Instagram of like, look at me, I'm caring for the poor here. It's not something we do to look righteous or boast in it. We seek justice because we want to love God and his people on earth and into eternity. Justice differs from charity because it's tied to power. Repairing Broken Structures to Create Flourishing for All People. Now, I got to tell you, when I heard this story from Melissa, I started to wonder if this clerical error that happened for this one guy, if it happened for a lot of other people and their families. But because Melissa used what she had, her influence, it helped to change a broken system for this man's family and maybe many others. So, I want you to look around the room right now at the people here today. Or if you're at home in your living room, you can look at your cat or text a friend. I don't know if you guys know this, but there are some very influential people in this room. I want you just to look around right now. Do you see them? Do you see them? They're sitting right next to you. It's you, it's us, it's the church. Now, I'm going to get really corny here because I come from a faith tradition where we talk to each other in church. We're maybe a little bit more vocal. So I want you to actually turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you have influence. So go ahead and do that right now. That's right. <laughs> you have influence. It's true. I don't care if you're 8 years old or 88 years old. You have influence. Justice is about restoring broken systems, but it's also about relationships. I really love that this church has cross-cultural dinners because it's a place to build relationships and hear stories of people. I love that we have Worship Wagon and Freedom Fire because it creates space for us to get to know people who God loves that are different from us. Uh, David and I took Ozzy months ago to Worship Wagon uh, in February. It it actually was Valentine's Day that we went. It was a super romantic Valentine's Day, you know, standing under, under a bridge in the cold in KCMO. I was like, babe, I know you love me. You don't have to worry about the flowers. Anyways, standing there worshiping God with folks struggling from houselessness puts scripture in a different context for me. What does it mean for someone who lives on the streets to say the words of Psalm 20, 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. That blew me away that night. How, that's easy for me to say as a white lady living in the suburbs. I do have everything I need. Some of us, the starting place God is inviting us into is actually getting to know our neighbors, loving our neighbors, maybe not driving right into our garages and shutting the door and thinking about not thinking about who's around us. Maybe it's crossing the street to that person who really annoys you that don't doesn't cut their grass or plays loud music. Who are the people God wants you to love right where you are in your city? Before the world turned upside down, um, Dave and I were getting to know one of Ruben's classmates' uh, friends. They had moved here from India, and our boys were starting to hang out with each other more. And so we um, invited them to come over for dinner. And so, you know, to try and be hospitable to these, these neighbors, they lived around the corner from us, we thought, okay, what would folks from India enjoy for dinner? Probably not pizza. So let's not serve pizza tonight. What, what should we serve? Dave is a really good cook. He does most of the cooking in our home. I'm the bread baker and the soup maker when the weather turns cold. So Dave makes a mean chili. So we're like, chili, that'll be perfect. Those will be like spices similar to maybe some found in Indian cooking. So Priya and Till came over with their boys, and we knew that Priya was a vegetarian. So we made sure to make a pot of vegetarian chili. So we gathered around the table, and um, you know, they started asking us, "What is this? It smells so good. You know, I, this this we like this. What are those spices that you use?" And so we explained to them, and then we said, "And there's beef in the chili." And they said, oh, we, we, don't, we don't eat beef. We're, we're Hindu. Oh, my gosh. I felt like the biggest idiot. It felt so awkward and uncomfortable. Here we were trying to love our neighbors, and then we literally served them something that was against their religion to eat. Talk about unhospitable. Well, thankfully, their boys ate, ate meat, so the boys ate uh, the beef chili, and Priya and Santel had the vegetarian chili, and they, they, we passed them some salad, and they had salad, and then they put this weird white stuff on it called ranch dressing. And I said, well, you know, ranch dressing is basically our religion in the Midwest, so you get to part- participate in our religious cultures here. So even though that evening was a little bit weird for us, they still invited us over to their apartment for a meal. And it was a cross-cultural experience for us, too they bought plates and forks for us to eat off of because in their home priya would cook breads to scoop up food with served on banana leaves they had us sit at the table while they sat in the living room and served us as as their honored guests it was really different for us and as we sat there building relationship with them and eating some of the best non-bread and chai i've had in my life Priya shared about how lonely it was here in Overland Park. She shared about her embarrassment, not knowing how to speak English very well. And it made me start to think more about my neighbors who struggled with English or who aren't citizens. How do they apply for a driver's license or use a bus line or find a grocery store with food that tastes like home? What if they don't have a car? What if they don't know anyone who can show them these things? What's it feel like to be an outsider in Prairie Village or Overland Park or, or Leewood? Meeting Priya made me wonder about this. When Dave and I moved here from Cleveland, Ohio in 2015, we actually felt like outsiders. Now, you might look at me and think, you're a white lady, you fit right into the suburbs here. Well, there are some insider-outsider things in this community that you might not notice if you've lived here your whole life. We don't have family here. We don't have so, the social structure of a mom and a dad who can pick up kids from school. We don't have aunts and uncles who can um, have our kids overnight if we both have to work. That doesn't exist for us here. Our families are in Michigan and in upstate New York. Okay, guys, don't hate me on this one. But we aren't sports fans. Aww. I literally had someone boo me the first service. So um, we aren't sports fans. I will tell you, we will cheer for the Royals. We've been to a Royals game. I took Ozzy to a Monarchs game the other week, and it was so much fun. We cheered for the Chiefs. You know, we will come to your Super Bowl parties because we like the commercials and the food. So please invite us. If you want to talk to me about the best trails to hike in this area, I will talk to you all day long. If you want to tell me about the movies you think are going to win Academy Awards, I am here for that. Sports, gosh, we sometimes feel like outsiders because we're not going to wear a jersey on a Sunday morning. We didn't go to KU or K-State. People have asked my son, who do you cheer for? And he's like, I don't know. My mom went to Michigan State and my dad went to Cornell. I'm not a Jayhawk or a Wildcat. We've never lived in the suburbs. We've always lived in places where we've been in the ethnic minority and in more impoverished communities. And we've experienced poverty ourselves. I'm not talking about, like, man, I can't afford those cool shoes that I really want. I'm talking about, I'm not sure I can afford milk this week for my family. Meeting Priya made me wonder, man, if I feel like an outsider here in Overland Park at times, what does it feel like for her what's it feel like for people to walk into hillcrest on a sunday morning if they're by themselves if they don't look like us if they if they don't worship jesus if they look different are a different age from a different place do they feel welcome do they feel seen do they feel acknowledged i will tell you what one of the reasons we came here was because of matt Dolliver. Man, Matt Dolliver is like the most welcoming person ever. He's like, hey, how are you doing today? So glad you're here. I'm Matt Dolliver. I'm so thankful for folks like Matt Dolliver who see people who may just slip in and slip out if no one says hello and welcomes them. I don't know if you know this, but the Holy Spirit is disruptive. He makes me so angry sometimes because I don't like to feel uncomfortable. I don't like to feel incompetent or displaced. But he likes to do that because he wants us to be more like Jesus and to love more like Jesus. Jesus didn't command us to to go and love the people who are just like us. He said, love your neighbors here and across the world. Just like sharing the gospel is for everyone if we follow Jesus, justice, practicing justice is for everyone. This is a both and of how we live out our faith. When we pick and choose what we follow from Scripture, and that is a lot of what we are seeing these days in Christianity, when we pick and choose what we want to follow, it's called syncretism. It's basically making a spiritual milkshake of what tastes good to us. Throw in some cherries? Okay, cool. That's what I like. You drink your own Jesus potion there. If we submit to the lordship of Jesus, we're going to do things that aren't our thing or hang out with people who aren't like us, because we love God and we love our neighbors. What are our neighbors struggling with? What do they care about? What are the barriers for them to flourish right here, right here in Johnson County? In Johnson County, we might assume that there's not many least of these, like Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, but there are. Recently, I spoke with a city council person in Prairie Village. I talked to him this week about some of the justice issues in our community. So I'm a nerd, and when I have to preach or write about something, I get really researchy. Dave and I both come from a family of academics, so we're like, all right, let's, like, really get into stuff here. So I trolled the the city council minutes from Prairie Village, because I wanted to find out, what what are they talking about in our community? What are the issues? So I found um, this councilman's name, Ian, and I messaged him because I saw he was working on some stuff for housing equality. I said, justice in Prairie, the Vi- perfect village where there are no problems? Ian, tell me more, tell me more. What are the justice issues in Prairie Village? And he said, there is actually a housing crisis here. There are many people who can't afford to live here teachers and police officers, folks who serve us in our child care centers and our coffee shops, because of zoning issues, they can't live here. And he said, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's fair. I said, Ian, we don't don't really talk about zoning issues on Sunday morning, so I don't know if I can tell my congregation, like, hey guys, care about zoning issues right now. But I said, you know, Ian, what are some practical things we can do to love our community? We wanna do that better. And frankly, I think Ian was a little like, Who are you, church lady? Why are you calling me? Like, I don't know what his faith background is, but I think he was a little taken aback that someone from a church would call him and ask him, How can we serve? We want to love the people here. I think he was a little bit skeptical, honestly. But he said, You know, one of the best ways is just to get to know your neighborhood, get to know what's happening in your community, go to a city council meeting be aware, email a city council person to create a more welcoming community for everybody. We can also take opportunities to learn more about our neighbors and our neighborhoods and how they were created. One of the things I'd love to invite you to do is to join me in attending an exhibit talk at the Johnson County Historical Museum. It is a great museum if you've never been there. Uh, There's an exhibit going right now that you can go to on your own, but I think we're going to go to it together for those of you that want to come. There's an exhibit talk on August 17th to learn about our neighborhoods and how they were created. The exhibit's called Redlining, um, Cities, Suburbs, and Segregation. And if you're not familiar with the term redlining, it refers to the systematic disinvestment of some neighborhoods and population in favor of others, most often on the basis of race. There's a link in the app if you have that open, or if you've used the QR code, you can sign up for that, and we'll put the information on the website and in emails as well. We're going to attend this lecture together, and then we'll just get together for dinner afterwards to talk about what we've learned and what we've experienced and how God might be inviting us to love our neighbors. I want to encourage you just to be curious, to learn, to learn what God might be doing. Another important action you can take this week is to vote. Some of you might know there's an election happening on Tuesday. Maybe you've seen a few signs around town, maybe even when you're driving here. We have an election this Tuesday, and there are some really important amendments on the ballot, but there are also men and women who are running for election that will have a direct impact on our lives and our neighborhoods. There's a nonpartisan website, Vote411, that you can pull it up and punch in your address and it will pull up every single candidate who's running for office. And you can read about them and what they care about and the issues that they stand for, what, what they want for our cities and our neighborhoods. You can see exactly what they believe in. As we've been saying this whole series, wisdom is taking what we've learned and putting it into action. The theologian Cornel West once said, justice is what love looks like in public, just like tenderness is what love feels like in private. Let's not just profess to love our neighbors or sing about it on Sunday. Leewood, we love you. Overland Park, God bless you. Lenexa, God is for you. Roland Park, Mission Hills, yes, the Lord bless you and keep you. Do they know about it as soon as we walk out the doors? Let's practice humility and get uncomfortable to actually learn about and love our neighbors. I'd like us to close by standing and saying the Lord's Prayer together. For those of you who may not be familiar with the Lord's Prayer, it's how Jesus instructed his disciples to pray in Matthew 6. And you can go ahead and stand up. In this prayer, Jesus instructs his disciples to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. If Jesus is telling us to pray this way, for his kingdom that includes justice and loving our neighbor and repairing broken systems, it's important for us to ask, what does this mean for me and for us as a church as we seek to love God and to love our neighbor? We're going to pray this prayer. The band is going to lead us in a song to reflect and pray. We're gonna have prayer team members come up. And so maybe this morning, if you're feeling convicted or uncomfortable or even angry, wondering how do I love my neighbor, take some time to pray with them this morning. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.